You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. My guest today is Dr. Yehuda Handelsman, who is medical director of the Metabolic Institute of America and who was the chair and program director of the 6th World Congress on the Insulin Resistance Syndrome in 2008. Dr. Handelsman, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Can we talk today a little bit about the relationship that exists between insulin resistance and the metabolic syndrome? This is actually a great topic because in the last several years, there were a lot of discussions about insulin resistance, its effect on metabolic diseases, and then, of course, the metabolic syndrome has been on everybody's mind since 2001, especially when the National Cholesterol Education Panel gave a simple way to define it and maybe to diagnose patients who potentially would have it. But then a few years later, lots of controversy. Does it exist? Does it not exist? Insulin resistance is a pathophysiological construct, and it has certain effects on lipids, on glucose, on energy metabolism, and perhaps also on cancers and other different parts of the body. But it's very hard to diagnose. It's very hard to see who has it or not without very extensive research-type tests. We did find out, though, that when we wanted to define people with insulin resistance, that usually they would have high triglycerides, low HDL, elevated blood pressure, and abnormalities of glucose. Well, that sounds like every patient I see every day. That sounds like every patient in 2000 and above that you would see every day, absolutely. Is metabolic syndrome really a new phenomenon as our societies become more affluent and really the human body is meant to live with periodic starvation and it really just does not know how to handle excess? Probably correct. And in my mind, when I try to understand what's going on, I actually think that insulin resistance is a protective mechanism at times when you don't have enough food, enough energy, and really allows you to function on a lower energy need. Some people call it the 50 gene. I'm not so sure it's the same thing. However, it is clearly in many of our minds a protective mechanism. Now, what happens though when you're over-bombarding that with amount of energy and amount of fat, it overfloods you. Suddenly, this good kid becomes a very bad kid. And a lot of the potential side effects related to that would be an increase in insulin level as compared to the insulin resistance itself. And so what you have, it's not only insulin resistance, it's hyperinsulinemia. And that hyperinsulinemia may actually affect tissues which are not resistant. For example, pretty much every organ. Not necessarily. We know that we have insulin resistance in the liver. Mm -hmm. We know that we have insulin resistance in muscles and perhaps in fat cells. These are the three main organs that would have insulin resistance. On the other hand, the ovary may be very sensitive, and that may cause too much production of estrogen, too much production of male hormone testosterone, 
which leads into what we know as polycystic ovarian syndrome. So you think that the insulin resistance comes first? Before hyperinsulinemia would make sense, yeah. That's how we differentiate people. The more insulin resistant they are, the more hyperinsulin they have. So that's why it helps you when, before they have diabetes. Mm-hmm. Because then you can truly measure the amount of insulin produced for the level of resistance. That's how you define resistance, actually. Are you a proponent of actually measuring fasting insulin levels? I would be had there been better tools than what we have today. But they don't have standardized kits for insulin or C-peptide, which is the offshot of insulin that could help a lot. And we don't have enough studies to relate insulin levels to medical conditions. So what do you see if you see a level of 22 of insulin? I mean, you wouldn't know what to do with that by itself. At times, though, I do, but I would not advocate it for everybody to do. If they want to know if somebody is at very high risk to perhaps develop diabetes, and I see that their insulin level two hours after stimulation would be four, five, or 800, when it should be probably 10 or 8, so even the kit cannot explain that. So I know that they really get rid of a lot of their insulin and they may have a limited supply that one day will do it. So I don't advocate it on a general level. It's like, don't do at home what I do, but it can be helpful. The one area where I do suggest is, if you're not so sure when your patient is with diabetes, needs insulin or not, do they require insulin? Are they insulin dependent? That's a time to check insulin, but to try and predict insulin resistance probably won't help most people. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD XM157. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Kaskill, and my guest today is Dr. Yehuda Handelsman, Medical Director of the Metabolic Institute of America, and we're talking about the relationship between insulin resistance and the metabolic syndrome. Dr. Handelsman, have you seen certain cancers related to insulin resistance? Yes, and I think that there is a debate out there. Is it obesity-related or is it insulin resistance-related? Obviously, we think it's insulin resistance-related. People like Pam Goodwin, uh, she's an oncologist from Toronto, Canada. George Fantus is also an endocrinologist from Toronto. And both of them have done a lot of work to show that high insulin level may cause a change in the cells, maybe cause them to be carcinogenic. But we do know that insulin is a pro-growth factor. Now, first time it was seen is really, I mentioned Pam Goodwin. She noticed in 97, she published already, that high triglyceride level denote women at risk for breast cancer. So in 98, she did another study, now with insulin claims, and she showed that the same women had high insulin levels and insulin resistance. That's how it came. To take an offshot, Jerry Riven, who is like the true uh, father and the true person who understood the clinical relationship, I believe, between insulin resistance and hyperinsulinemia and medical diseases. And I know that some stuff started in the 20s and the 30s and in Germany and here and there, but you really put a true clinical construct to that. Jerry actually published a study to show that people that have lung cancers and are smokers would have a higher insulin resistance. So somewhat, again, promoting this growth factor 
that will cause the development of cancer. So that's a direct relationship. And to your original question, therefore, we found that people that have metabolic syndrome, the more parameters of the syndrome that they have, the more insulin resistant they are. What do you see as the primary goal of treating someone with insulin resistance? What kind of end targets are there? Well, to me, I think that the two complications of insulin resistance are either diabetes and or cardiovascular disease. So the two most deadliest, uncomfortable, expensive diseases we have. If we take a group of people like the Pima Indians, the Pima are divided to two. 40 to 50% of them will get diabetes, and the rest of the 40-50% will just have insulin resistance metabolic syndrome. Both groups will have hypertension cardiovascular disease. It's almost everybody. And so what we find is that between insulin resistance and overflight of the a system with nutrient and fat and changing lipids and the whole metabolic syndrome cascade, they will develop cardiovascular disease and atherosclerosis. And if they also have islet cells that cannot produce enough insulin, when they're stressed so much, they will also develop diabetes. And then diabetes and cardiovascular disease together are much worse in terms of their prognosis. So my way would try to prevent the development of those deadly and expensive diseases. So that's my next question. How can you prevent that in a Pima Indian? Have there been studies that take certain populations and try specific treatments with them? Looking at the Pima, I think that pretty soon, like, the strong heart data is going to be published. And I think it's a study that looks primarily at lipid management and aggressive treatment of that group. It is a very tough group. I think that when we look at management of them or other people in the syndromes, let's not forget that the syndrome is around 60% of adult population today. Pediatrics, 20% of pediatric population qualifies for the syndrome based on adult criteria. I mean, that bed we are at today. So obviously we're looking at lifestyle into these groups and then perhaps medication. Both of them have pros and cons when it comes to management. Let's talk about first lifestyle. I only see benefits of changing lifestyle. Yeah, it's wonderful. Lifestyle works on everybody. Lifestyle works if you're young and old, fat and thin, man or a woman, works on everybody and works well. Does it come in pill form? It does not come in pill form, and it just need them to do it. We have learned that most people that lost weight gain it back within one year. We've seen that the National Cholesterol Education Panel already considered in 2001 that they will only do six weeks trial to see that we can improve people's lipids before we go to medication. The American Diabetic Association recognized that diet alone is not enough. You need to give a pill. And the American Association of Clinical Endocrinologists said the same thing three years ago and said give combination treatment. The reason is the majority of our population what they define lifestyle is not enough, but it works. We have studies at the Diabetes Prevention Program that show that lifestyle prevented the progression to diabetes or halted that by 
almost 60%. We had the Finnish trials, we had Chinese trials, we even have an Indian trial. All of those trials show very nice that it works. I mentioned before PCOS. There is a very nice doctor, I think, Norman Robert from Australia. And he's done a study in women with polycystic ovarian syndrome. And they've got difficulty getting pregnant and so on. And he improved it by 85%. It was not duplicated by anybody else. But that's what they did. You know, it's not unlike Dino Ornish from San Francisco, mm-hmm. who's got great diets to improve lipids, which works as long as you're as part of his camp until you go home. So diets are great, but they work short-term when people are doing it. Dr. Yehuda Handelsman, thank you very much for talking with me today. You're very welcome. It was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you for listening to Lipid Illuminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals.